Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran, here with Matthew Dawkins. Hello. And Eddie Webb. <laughs> why, why are you evil laughing? Sorry, we were talking about supervillains earlier, so yes. it's on my head. But also, we're all together again. We've That's been true, together yes, for a few weeks. You guys left me. Left me. Abandoned me. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was deserved. <laughs> After you broke Lisa's iPad. <laughs> That's a joke for exactly seven people. <laughs> like, if you're not, I'm not even going to explain it. Yes, Eddie broke his iPad. That's the thing that happened. Um, yeah, we, that, uh, that's, we. That's fair. That's fair. So Matthew and I came back to find Eddie just sitting at the door, pawing at it and whining a little bit. And we just, thought, oh shit, we forgot to unlock the Eddie flap. <laughs> Picturing like a like human shaped flap in the door, like like <laughs> like like when uh when someone in a cartoon like runs through a wall, they leave like a perfect human shaped. Oh hole. yeah, a crime scene, uh, you know, white tape around it, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So like mm. Eddie has to like put his body in a specific configuration to go through <laughs> the flap. It would you switch if you just let me open the door? This is my <laughs> hole. I think is uh, the Junji Ito um, <laughs> quote. Uh, if you've if you're not familiar with Junji Ito and the and his horrific manga, uh, I recommend it. <laughs> if if you like horror stories about people disappearing into cave sides and other such things, okay. I do like Junji Ito, but I don't know which one you're talking about right now, so I might have to uh, go back and reread. I haven't read Junji Ito in a while. Okay, so there there is a Junji Ito story where people start suddenly gravitating toward this mountain or cliffside, uh, you're never really given a, a sense of scope or where, presumably, Mount Fuji, because these things often take place around Tokyo. And um, there's human-shaped holes, much as we just described for Eddie, in the side of this cliff. And more of them just seem to appear overnight. And someone suddenly starts raving that this one is my is my hole. This is my perfect mm -hmm. shape, and they just start climbing into it. And people try and pull them out, but no one else can fit into that exact shape. And they just kind of shuffle bodily deeper and deeper into the hole. And I won't uh, explain what occurs next, uh, but yeah, it gets very weird and quite scary. Yeah. A lot of body horror in Jinji mm. if I remember correctly, which which oh. you're you're a fan of, Matthew. Yes, yes yeah, I'm a big fan of David Cronenberg. Uh, he is one of my favorite movie directors, and I don't think many people do body horror better than Cronenberg. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite Cronenberg work? Dead Ringers. And yeah? Yeah, and that's a bit of a hipsterish answer, I know, because he's done more <laughs> successful movies. But I think I like Dead Ringers. It's real weird. <laughs> it, it is really weird. I think what makes it stand out most of all is Jeremy Irons' performance as the twins Beverly and Elliot. Is just it. You completely forget within about five minutes of meeting Jeremy Irons twice that it it that both these characters are being played by the same actor. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact, uh, facially, they look identical. It's not like one Jeremy Irons has a beard and the other doesn't. And they're also and... dressed pretty much the same through the whole thing, aren't they? Yep. And uh, I watched an interview 
or read an interview where Jeremy Irons explained how he did it. And it was all about where he was putting his balance. And so one of his characters would be on the um, sort of balls of his feet and the other would constantly be rocking back on his heels. And it was purely through body language that he was able to convey that these two characters were different. To the point that even though there are characters in the movie who, throughout the course of the movie, are fooled into thinking they're speaking to Beverly or Elliot, you always know, Mm -hmm. as the viewer, which one you're looking at. Despite the fact they are never addressed in the right way, necessarily. (laughs) So it's... it's, um, And, of course, beyond that, there is the just bizarre plot as regards to it's twins so and the psychic link that twins might have and uh, their obsession with motherhood and I guess returning to the womb and, this and the drugs and the fact yeah. that they're gynecologists with the weirdest tools in the universe <laughs> yeah uh, it's, it's um <laughs> Eddie hasn't seen it, so all he's hearing is us talking about how weird this movie is. (laughs) But yeah, Dead Ringers, definitely recommend it. Uh, It's a movie I don't think a lot of modern audiences have seen, but uh, I I mean, recommend it with a lot of content warnings. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like like just a shit ton of content warnings. Don't be mistaken, it is a horror movie. And while it is played like a drama, it is a horrific drama. I've I I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I have seen it and it is good. So yeah, it's, it's not the it's kind weird. of movie you go back to. It's a little like Requiem for a Dream, which is the movie often cited like this. That uh, when you watch it, you are profoundly struck by it and can't help but admire its critical excellence. But you're very unlikely to then set, go to a friend and say, "Hey, do you fancy watching this with me next week?" You've got to yeah, give yeah. it a cool down period about a decade. <laughs> yeah, I I feel back. like it's gonna be a while before I want to watch Mid Midsummer again. Like mm. I I watched it once, it was an experience. It was very good. Um, I I I I enjoyed the experience. I don't know that I want to experience that again anytime soon. Yeah, I felt that way about Old Boy. Um, oh yeah, it's, it's another one where it's like I, it's a fantastic film, but man, you would not pay me money to watch that movie again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas I I am different on Old Boy. Old Boy is a movie I can watch and rewatch, and it's probably because for me it only starts to become very very uncomfortable in the last fifteen minutes. Uh, Mm. I mean, man, the last fifteen minutes will fuck with you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it. There's a lot of scenes of true unpleasantness throughout the entire thing, but it is such a non-stop movie that i can mm-hmm. just get carried away with it and then yeah the ending hits me but by that point it's too late and i've got to see it through um yeah. audition on the other hand is a japanese movie by takashi <laughs> Seen that Mike. once yeah uh, which again which has actually the same kind of build as old boy uh, but it's more ratcheting up of suspense than uh-huh. lots of action sequences and then the suspense pays off in a um, in a way that I can only describe as kiri 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 kiri. Yeah. I do. I do need to correct you on one thing. Mm-hmm. It's Takashi Miike. Miike, sorry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> sorry, um, Takashi. Yeah, no, uh, yeah uh, he also did Ichi the Killer. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of other like like movies that I used to watch at parties in my early twenties. People would put on. <laughs> right. And yeah. you would like look away for a while, and you'd look back and be like, "What the fuck is happening on screen right now?" Yeah, yes. in, a, in a lot of ways, he's the 
if not the father of uh, the inheritor of Japanese or East Asian hardcore cinema. Um, mm-hmm. He was he's very much responsible for a lot of how the West perceives Japanese horror, uh, which is unfair because mm-hmm. there's an awful lot of just subtle horror and schlocky horror, just just like we have. Yeah. But uh, Takashi Miike has a massive catalogue of movies that would never, ever get made in Hollywood or through the British movie industry. Uh, they're just so distinctly him. Even yeah, his like action I've... movies, like Dead or Alive, are... Mm-hmm are pretty grotesque in parts in in ways that you wouldn't get with a Vin Diesel movie. I have very uh, visceral memories um, of my friends when I was like between 18 and 20, let's say getting, you know, we would have parties and stuff and they would get these movies that you couldn't get in the U S at the time. They would buy them at like anime conventions. Um, And we, that's, that's how I saw Ichi the killer audition battle Royale and suicide club. Was all like wow. at a party, drinking like a Smirnoff ice or something because it was 2003. Um, <laughs> oh, and like having it on kind of in the background, but it was subtitled. So if you weren't looking at the screen, you didn't know what the hell was happening unless you spoke Japanese, which I was not, I've, I've never been fluent, even though I, I, I took it for a while. Um, but like, yeah, it, it's like I, I, I saw them in the weirdest way possible and then would go back later. And watch them by myself and be like, oh, it's actually a really good and terrifying movie. But mm. when you're seeing it in like snatches while also trying to have a conversation with, you know, 12 other people <laughs> who are in the room and like <laughs> someone's making food and someone's making jokes and somebody's just completely not paying attention and like working on a, on a, on a, on a, on a role playing game character or something. It's like that's not the ideal way to view uh, Japanese yeah. horror movies. No, I would say oh. watching them in your early 20s is just about the right age range to watch those kinds of movies because it's mm-hmm. when you're old enough to watch them and not necessarily suffer um, a series of horrifying nightmares, though you might, um, but not quite old enough to have the empathy that makes it so revolting you can't watch it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have I have found that the older I get, the less I like just weirdly gory horror movies for gore's sake. Yeah, like I enjoy a good psychological story. I enjoy a good suspense yeah. story. Yeah. I I like some true crime type stuff and some serial killer type stuff. But like, if it's just like right right before we started recording, we, I I mentioned Hannibal, um, mm-hmm. which I love, and I love it because even when it's gory, it's kind of beautiful, mm-hmm. and it's it's meant to be this kind of like very artistic gore on on some level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have I plan to watch the uh, Clarice show that 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 they're putting out um, yeah. in like a month or so I think uh, because it takes place about a year after the events of Silence of the Lambs and it's oh. it's it's an investigative story following Clarice Starling um, and I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that but like I I see this stuff where it's like oh it's the most brutal horror movie and I'm like I don't want to watch that like I I actually appreciate that Midsummer was light on the gore. It's it's a horrifying movie, <laughs> but it actually only has about two scenes that I was like, ugh, at, you know? Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I th- I, your, 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 your tastes change as you age, I guess. I am yeah, I'm 35 and not 21 anymore. Apparently we all turn into radical conservatives. So I, look, someone look told me to that. that. 
And I keep getting more leftist, and I just don't yeah, know. Weird. Like <laughs> at some point, you just flip around; it's a circle, and you reach. Oh, back that what it is? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like I was also told that I would grow out of wine to dye my hair weird colors, but you know, I'll be thirty-six and three months here and it's still green so <laughs> yeah i mean it's like i i'm i'm sitting here in my mid-40s going i mean i need more tattoos so you know i'm, I'm also not kind of i right love direction. that you just got your first tattoo like within the past year and now you have more tattoos than i do and i've been getting yeah. tattoos since i was 18 <laughs> <laughs> i gotta catch up i mean you've, you've you've surpassed me i think at this point you've got far larger ones than i do <laughs> you've got sure, far sure. more than i do but one one thing i think about hitting in your mid forties and deciding to get tattoos is that you have a very clear idea of what you want. Yeah. Whereas if you look at the ones I got when I was like 18 and 21 and whatever, eh, they're, they're okay. They, mm-hmm. they could have been better and more cohesive. L- l- luckily they're not like giant arm pieces or anything. Right. Um, my, my one large arm piece is one that I got in my thirties, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I definitely would have had a more cohesive plan for, uh, <laughs> for my tattoos if I had started getting them now. Right, and like I mean, I have like some of a cohesive plan, but also like I'm also reaching a point where it's like that would be cool, and that would be cool. Because um, also I've noticed in the tattoo journey is like the first one's like there's all this meaning and idea behind it, and now I'm like my seventh or eighth, I'm just like ah fuck it, that, that Transformers. Right, yeah. <laughs> Why the hell not? <laughs> What's the meaning behind it? It looks cool. <laughs> I mean, I I still want a Sailor Moon tattoo purely because I've loved Sailor Moon since I was ten. Like, yeah, totally. I don't know what kind of Sailor Moon tattoo I'm gonna get, and that's that, that's always been kind of my like hang up with it is i'm like do i get sailor saturn do i just get her weapon do i get like a kind of a cool traditional style tattoo that is sailor moon adjacent like i have like i'm, I'm so torn on it that yeah. i've just never bit the bullet and gotten a sailor moon tattoo because <laughs> i'm like there's so many things i would like from sailor moon like should i do a sailor moon like whole calf piece of like a bunch of different stuff i don't know i don't know Sailor like Moon Sailor in Moon. America traditional style would actually be really interesting to see. So there was one there's there's a, a a pin that I saw on Instagram a while back like like someone made like an, an enamel pin and it's a, it's a traditional style tattoo where it's the hand holding the like um the like moon moon stick her transformation uh-huh. wand um and it says the babe with the power <laughs> so it's also <laughs> nice. a labyrinth reference. <laughs> And I like nice. that. And I've, I've, I've thought about getting that and then modifying it from being the Moonstick to being Sailor Saturn's transformation pen because she's my favorite. Totally. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Tattoo discussion. Anyway, we're talking about <laughs> workflow this week. Apparently. I mean, I've yet to see any evidence. <laughs> it's pretty much what Rich says to us in every Monday meeting. <laughs> we're, we're talking about work, really? <laughs> This is no. what happens when we don't get together for like weeks on end. Honestly, yeah. yeah, y'all, you don't even we we talked for an hour before we started recording about all kinds of bullshit, like all kinds <laughs> of TV shows, animes, like various no. horror things, game stuff, work stuff, like whatever. This is it is eleven twenty right now in the morning, and we have been recording since ten a.m. or hanging out since ten a.m. We've been recording no, no. for fifteen minutes. Yeah, in fairness, Rich, as you're listening and you pay us, uh, some of that was work related. <laughs> there you it go. Was. It was like a water cooler talk. Uh, remember, I said remember, there was work talk. Yeah, remember, remember those days, listeners, when you could meet people around the water cooler without worrying about infecting them or catching an infection? I've actually never well, had a job where that was a thing. But, no, I, mean, I, I know, never I, had a conversation by a water cooler. I was always worried about <laughs> blocking the water cooler. I also know that Rich isn't going to be too worried about it because, like last time, we had a, a 
business meeting between him and I, and we end up talking for like 30 minutes about Conan comics from the 70s. So, I mean, like, it, this happens. <laughs> yeah, less of that double standard, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> You're acting like he cracks down on us for admitting that we do things like play Mario Kart. <laughs> Like, we're allowed to take breaks as long as our work gets done. (laughs) Speaking of work. So our topic this week uh, that we are just now getting to at minute 16 um, (laughs) is workflow, uh, which is it's we've we've talked before about how the process works for like Onyx Path. Like, you know, first drafts, first lines, approvals. But we haven't talked a lot about how our individual like workday looks. Or how a work week might look. Um, Eddie's taught a few classes on this to Onyx Path freelancers. I've actually taken a couple of them because workflow mm-hmm. is something that I had major trouble with when I started doing this. Um, mm-hmm. I'm one of the only people, like I, I think of, of all of the core team, I'm one of the few people that has never worked in a really a, an office environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also never worked on my own. I, I come from a retail background. Um, and so I'm used to, you know, you go into work and you get told where you're going to be that day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or you get told what your project is for that day and you do it. And then if you finish early, you go to your boss and you go, what else do you want me to do? Um, and right. that's that's where I come from. <laughs> so suddenly being in this um, environment where you're expected to just figure it all out for yourself was a little rough for me for a while um, and figuring out various tools and things like that. So I'm going to let Eddie go ahead and kind of do a little intro to what like how you'd like to talk about this, because this is going to be a lot of your episode with Matthew and I, I think, jumping in. Oh, okay, that's fair. Um, well, I mean, uh, the problem, especially when you're working by yourself, uh, you have to kind of end up being your own manager, right? Uh, which means that you have to make a plan. Um, and one thing I've actually been talking with uh, some developers recently about is uh, there is a confusion uh, about how important planning is. It, it is important to understand. This is what I intend to do today this is what i intend to do this week this is what i intend to do in the next few months um but also recognizing that it, it, it plans can and probably should change based on how things go because you can't anticipate let's use use an example dixie um you can't anticipate yeah. me dropping a manuscript you just go hey i need to edit it in a week yeah um and uh, honestly it, it took me a long time to this is something for all all my work work from home friends it took me a long time to stop beating myself up for not anticipating those things because <laughs> mm-hmm. i would be like oh i'm gonna get x done this week and then something priority would come in and then i would get mad at myself for not getting x done even though x wasn't a priority really like right. the fact that i could put x aside to work on y meant that it was totally fine if x took an extra week but right. I would get all mad at myself. They'd be like, I didn't get this thing done this week. I suck. But I got other things done this week. And you have to like let yourself celebrate that. Right. But the reverse is also not good. If you just say, well, I'm just not going to plan right. at all. I'm just going to pick up work to work on that. Because then you find you're grinding against one project that probably nobody's expecting you to work on right away. Um, and stuff that is high priority is, is just sitting there, nothing happening. Um, so... Uh, uh, I have found the best way that works for me is, is a, a system of constantly replanning. Um, so uh, what I generally do, uh, and I guess like Daisy said, I have a whole actually have a YouTube video on the Onyx Path channel where I talk about how that details of this. But in, in a high level, um, we have to, as a group, look at what's what's coming up, what's urgent, what's what needs to be pushed along, um, and that's part of where our Monday meetings are. Uh, every week we kind of talk about where our projects are at, but also mm-hmm. we do have quarterly uh, production meetings 
where um, it's three of us along with uh, um, Matt McElroy and operations and Rich, uh, we talk about um, what's on the horizon, what we want the kind of targets, um, what kind, what's our next couple months of Kickstarter maybe gonna look like, mm-hmm. um, what kind of sales are coming up, um, what kind of promotions are happening, and prior to this year, what kind of conventions were coming up. <laughs> what's a convention? Uh, it's a place where lots of people get together without masks. Ah, I know it's a horror no, story, right? No, I hate that. Yeah, I, I think I think I'll be putting that off for a while. I am <laughs> still having trouble watching television shows where people don't have. Like, yeah. I've been watching. This is a total tangent. I don't care. I've been watching The Strain. Um, oh yeah, because I like. I actually I, I like vampire stuff, and I actually before this I, I I like pandemic disaster movies. I don't know why it's a thing I enjoy. Um, <laughs> Luckily, this one doesn't look like one of those quite yet, but it's still really bad. But um, watching The Strain is so interesting because, like, there's a pandemic in New York. It turns people into vampires, but no one's wearing goddamn masks. And I realized right. that in the world of The Strain, it doesn't really matter because the little strain things will, like, go in through your hands or your legs or whatever. But it bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it bothers me every time. And I'm like, I'm like, why? Why aren't you wearing masks? There's a pandemic. You don't know it's not airborne. You're just yeah. random people. <laughs> so, yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, that gives a good sense of, I think collectively our large scale plan. Okay. You know, um, yeah. uh, I need to work on this Pugmire book or, uh, I need to work on Anima or Dixie needs to prioritize how to prioritize her editing tasks. Or it, yeah. It also really helps me, um, prioritize things when, when I know like what our next three Kickstarters are going to be, because mm-hmm. sometimes we send an un, an unedited manuscript to Kickstarter on purpose because mm-hmm. we think that like some stuff might change based on fan reaction or based on people catching things or noticing things that we just didn't notice in, in, in the development. But sometimes it's better to just send the edited text to Kickstarter because we're pretty comfortable that the book's going to be fine, you know, and right. there aren't going to be any large scale changes. Cause like if you send a book to a Kickstarter and it turns out that it needs a, a, a chapter partially rewritten and it's already been edited, sometimes I don't actually get to see it again. Um, and so it doesn't get edited. I feel like that the little part of it. So we need to like mm-hmm. plan all that out so we know what's going on. Um, and also, yeah, I need to know if like if we're doing the Pugmire, like next Pugmire Kickstarter in, you know, April or June. Mm-hmm. I'm not making any actual promises. I'm just saying right. random months, people. Um, <laughs> number. Yes. Just, yeah, just just for the listeners. <laughs> but, right. Like if, if the next Pugmire Kickstarter is in April or June or whatever, then I don't have to edit it right now because right. it doesn't take me four months to edit a book, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I can sit on that for a minute and maybe get some stretch goals out to backers instead because people are waiting on those. And it's mm-hmm. cool to go ahead and get some stretch goals out. So it's like constant balancing act with like what we're going to be doing and what's coming up next. You know, are we doing Exalted? Are we doing Pugmire? Are we doing Mage? You know, like we have, we have so many different lines going on. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's that's really interesting to me is like and also just really useful is having like Matt and Rich and everybody like talk about what the plan's going to be. Um, cause yeah, I need, right. That. Exactly. And, and then that, that helps us make, so, I mean, and, but those are really, again, high level decisions like we're talking about here. Um, it, at that, those meetings are usually at the place where we're going, okay, Dixie, I need you to do this editing on this week of this month kind of stuff. Um, it's more, that's the strategy. As I can, you know, mm-hmm. By this time in three months, we want to be in this place. Um, and then, uh, from that kind of high level planning, uh, you have to go to kind of, okay, 
figure out all your tasks, all the things I need to do to get to that stage, write them all down or, or put them on a board or whatever. Um, and then each week it's like, okay, what needs to be done this week? Well, these things need to be done this week. Those are high priority. These things I, go, I would like to get done this week. Uh, and that's your kind of weekly plan. Um, and then every day I plan every day. So it's like this, you know, sometimes there's obvious plans like, okay, every Monday I'm going to have Monday meetings. So let's just, I did that on Monday. I can't really adjust that. These recordings we do on a very specific day. Um, uh, but then like other stuff, like, okay, I need to develop this chapter. Um, it needs to be done. So I'll probably try to do it earlier on the week just to make sure that it's done. Um, but there may be a mm -hmm. day where it's like, okay, I'm just not in the headspace to, to work on this. Like, for example, um, there were events happening in January in the United States, which made it hard to develop a book about a fascist cyberpunk government. Really? Um, I wonder what that could be. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> So uh, Anima was a bit of a challenge. So I, I was like, okay, you know, I mean, I'm just going to focus on some other stuff that, that's equally priority. Um, so I just pulled some other tasks across and, so, and focused on those on a daily basis until I got into the right headspace to work on them. Um, so that's a whole lot of planning. If you listen to that, it's like you know, I have uh, we have a large-scale plan, we have a weekly plan, we have a daily plan. Um, and every day... I, I, I usually am pretty okay with my daily plans, but weekly plans almost never survive contact. Uh, yep. Some stuff pops up. Um, oh, this thing is something that's high priority. Uh, a good example of this actually is uh, on Anima. Um, I had been like, okay, I'm ready to start working on this now, getting things moving. Mm -hmm. um, and then Rich is like, hey, I need notes because I'm working on the cover sketch. I'm like, well, crap. Um, and so I had to change how I was approaching the development of that because I need to get certain information to Rich relatively quickly. Uh, so that that's a kind of the case where it's like okay these things i was going to do later in the week i need to do earlier so i can get the information which needs to him um meetings will pop up sometimes uh where it's like hey, you know good example is this, hey can you you have to half an hour to talk to me through a thing or bounce my ideas off you or sometimes mm -hmm. i'll um call matthew and vent about stuff or whatever um so those kind of ad hoc meetings will pop up um or you know like Sometimes a developer's struggling, and I'll schedule a call with them later on in the week. Mm -hmm. uh, like, hey, let's just go ahead and talk this over. Um, so again, you can't plan this stuff. So it, you, you you plan with the best intentions. Um, but as long as work is happening, and as long as well, I call momentum is occurring, you're fine. Um, there have been days where my head is so strange. Uh, I'll be like, I'm going to work on this today, and then. I like I, I don't I get the afternoon it's like oh, I'm just not feeling it mm -hmm. so I'm gonna pull over this other task that I kind of want to work on anyway and then I'm, I feel bad because like why well, I cheated on this work task to work on this work task instead and I'm bad because I didn't do this exact work task and it's like, right? I know <laughs> I it's a, it's fine I work is getting done but it, you you can get so enamored of the plan so I mean I still do it. It's not like it's some kind of magical thing where it's like suddenly you're always flew with your plan. It doesn't happen. Also, yeah, sometimes I, you just need a break from something. Like if I'm working on a manuscript that just isn't like my cup of tea, because like I think every game they put out is a good game, but we are not all fans of every single game we put out and every single theme of everything, you know, whatever. Because like right. they're all good, but they're all for different people, and some of them aren't as much for me. So if I were like I'm, I'm not a Werewolf the Apocalypse fan. I have, I have been vocal about that in the past. Um, that's fine. It's just not for me. I've, I've never been into werewolf media in general. 
Um, I'd much prefer to be like a were or something else. <laughs> so if, if, if I'm editing a werewolf thing, for instance, I might get very bored of it or very just like, I don't want to work on this. So I can go work on something else for a couple hours or a day or two and then come back to it. Um, and that, that just happens sometimes. Also, some manuscripts are more difficult than others. And so sometimes you're like hammering away at something that's a little bit harder to like get into shape. And it's nice to turn around and, you know, edit or write or review something that you know is just going to be delightful to you because mm -hmm. it's 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 clean and it's easy. And that's just the nature of the work, really. Matthew, you were going to say something? Uh, no, uh, well, just to agree, really, the okay. the fact of, um, of needing to switch between tasks sometimes because of uh, impromptu meetings or because uh, an assignment has suddenly hit your inbox. Um, sometimes it is a... A demand because something is uh, is declared more urgent than another, and if anything, that makes the decision making a lot easier because someone else is then telling you, "Hey, you know, get this done quickly." And you think, "Okay, well, mm -hmm. I did it because they asked me to." Um, right. But uh, I guess it it highlights to me the difference between, or one of the differences in my workflow as a writer and developer. And my workflow when I was, I don't know, uh, an administrator at an investments firm where we still mm -hmm. had so many cases that we had to get through in a day, but you would have to prioritize based on things like uh, cutoffs at certain points of the day. Like all foreign payments had to be made by 1030. So mm. you would make all, you would work on that despite the fact that it was probably the hardest thing you had to do all day you would try and bust through all of those before 10 a.m mm -hmm. so you could comfortably submit them for checking and make sure they were correct if they were wrong you'd still have enough time to get them right that sort of thing mm -hmm. um and you know you would either set yourself these times uh, these deadlines throughout the day or they would just be set by the company you worked for right and things started changing for me when I started uh, training people, because I was very much a sort of one-man team, and this was before I started doing uh, writing and development full time. But at that point, I would look at a company. I'd be I'd be told, "You need to train everyone on at this company on this, or this many people at this company on this." But you couldn't train them all at the same time because some of them still needed to be doing the work. They couldn't all just go into an auditorium for three hours right. or three days so you then had to start breaking things down and working out okay how long is it going to take for me to write this training how long is it going to take for me to deliver it how long is it going to take me to do assessments how many people can i take out at a time how many negotiations am i going to have to have with managers to release this many people from these teams at this time that sort of thing and mm -hmm. when i had to start thinking like that that's still the same logic i apply to my work with Onyx Path and other uh, RPG companies, it's um, well, you know, how much time can I realistically set aside for this? Uh, am I going to have enough energy to focus on this in the same day that I do that? And as a result, my work plan ends up being pretty robust. Uh, it's you know it certainly breaks down at times just as you said Eddie you know sometimes it just doesn't survive contact if it's a week long plan but other mm. times it does because I've got it down to a pretty regimented art the only times it invariably breaks down is when we have 
things like uh, childcare, which is very demanding for me, uh, mm-hmm. of course, or global pandemics. <laughs> so right. the last year, that um, that robust plan has kind of gone out the window. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's interesting. The obviously the scenery that you work in. Uh, the the company you're working for, or the type of work you're doing, is of course going to direct an awful lot of how you're able to prioritize, focus, and how much work you're going to be able to get through in a day. And right. yeah, it's it's and interesting I, to me to see that journey. Yeah, and I think um, uh, uh, the way we're structured is a bit unusual in the fact that we do have a kind of a tiered system of people who can help set those priorities um so uh like at the top obviously if rich is like hey guys I need you to do this guess what we're doing that you know rich mm-hmm. ultimately gets to make those calls um uh sometimes there is sideways uh discussion like if uh, uh mike needs something for art um usually we try to pivot and, and accommodate him um but the flip side if we need something for mike he also tries to turn it on pretty quickly for us. So we can kind of, yeah. you know, do it very often. We do occasionally, and occasionally we've done it for each other too. Like I've gone to Matthew and like, hey, Matthew, I need something for, they came from for story path reasons. Or um, at Dixie, hey, can you turn around this editing in like a couple of days? Because it's a very small thing. I need to do yeah. it quickly. Um, so there is some sideways priority. But again, that's much more on the case of, I, I'm in the middle of X task and I need Y thing so I can give it to Z deadline. Not in the, hey, I'm telling you to do this because this is what the company needs. You know, so it's more of a helping peers out priority. Um, we set a certain amount of priority to our developers under us. Um, uh, and if there's a line that has a line developer, usually we'll do that through the line developer. So uh, I'll talk with Neil. Um, and like, if these, these are the books we should be prioritizing for Scion. Um, he'll pitch ideas usually, and then I'll like, hey, we should do this versus that. Um, I'll have some more conversations with Ian uh, on the Trinity side. Um, I, I, I understand, Dixie, you do the same thing for for uh, uh, S, for Exalted mm-hmm. as well. For 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 Essence. <laughs> I'll say for Essence. I'm like, yes, yeah, so the, the entire line of Essence. For, no, the, for, for the one book we've done for Exalted Essence, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and also for the, the Chronicles books, too. Um, and then if if there's a line developer, that line developer will then let the individual project developers know what their rough timelines are, whatnot. If not, then we'll directly talk to individual project developers like, hey, this is what I need a deadline for. Again, it all comes from that kind of earlier high-level meeting of like, um, this is what we need to look at. Like, for, for example, um, before 2020 happened, um, we had wanted to get a couple of the new Scion books out in Kickstarter in 2020. We wanted to get Dragon and Mass submit those out kind of because it was the let's use 2020 as a year to kind of get Demigod out there, but also just showing people that we're moving in new directions with Scion beyond just reprinting the old books in new editions. Um, and then, of course, that didn't happen. That plan didn't survive contact, so we had to adjust it. But now, still January, we're doing that. So it's like pretty close to 2020, all things considered. It's actually did a pretty good job there. Um, but then I went and talked to Neil about that, and then we figured out where the priorities of books are, and so we talked through that. And then he and I talked to the individual project developers about, okay, let's get this book out, let's get this book out. I need to have this by this date. I need to have that by that date. Um, so there is still some of that, which you're talking about, Dixie, in terms of a boss telling mm-hmm. you what to do, yeah. but it's much more abstract. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it pops up here and there when certain things need to get done, but mm-hmm. it's not there day-to-day usually. Right. Now you still have to kind of self-motivate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is always fun, you know. <laughs> and and honestly, can be hard. So um, what do you do to keep yourself motivated throughout the day? Like, especially I've... One of the issues that I found personally is that since I'm mostly, like, throughout the course of one day, I'm accountable to myself, right? More than I'm accountable to, once again, a boss. Like, if I'm working at Sephora, my boss can see if I'm just standing around doing nothing. (laughs) But one of the issues I've had off and on, and I mean, I... I feel like I've mostly overcome it at this point, but is that sometimes you're sitting here and you're like, I could be playing a video game and nobody would know. Mm-hmm. Or I don't want to do work today. And granted, sometimes just taking a day off to recharge is the best thing you can do. But yes. if you need to get work done and you're not feeling it, what are some tips and tricks that you have to kind of make yourself push past that? Um, I'll be honest. One of the things that's actually been helpful in the past year is that um, – uh, both my wife and my roommate are working from home right now. Mm-hmm. And so I have something closer to an actual office environment. And that does help because it's the, um, they're there working, so I should probably be working too. And if I just fuck off, they would not begrudge me at all if I just fucked off for a time. But mm-hmm. there's a kind of implicit social pressure. And it's like, I should probably be working too. And so there's a couple times where I've been like, I don't want to do this, but I see Michelle's in a call and David's upstairs and the dog's asleep. So yeah, I should probably do this. Um, uh, but before that, um, pre-COVID time, I would sometimes go to different locations, uh, go in coffee shops or uh, library or whatnot, because then it's the, I came here to work. So now that I'm here, I should actually do the work that I came here to do. Um, that That's the kind of the, the, sunk cost fallacy to a degree it's like i I made this Mm -hmm. effort so i should use the effort there um also just time boxing uh where it's the okay i'm gonna work on this for half an hour so i get something done right and i have found for me and i think i think a lot of people feel the same way but i know definitely for me is starting is often the hardest part if i just get started yeah then usually half an hour in i'm like okay now that now i'm doing this it's like if I was like, well, okay, well, maybe I'll stop after I do this one thing, and then I'll let me just grab this one piece up, and then suddenly it's been two, three hours, and I've got two, three hours of work done. Um, but also there are times where I do for half an hour of work, and then afterwards I'm like, nope, that is it. That's all I got today. But I got like half an hour of work done. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, those things help. I mean, it's the old intimidation of the blank page, isn't it? The, um, yeah. the writer's block that comes with the daunting process of knowing you have to write this many words and Mm -hmm. you have nothing in front of you. And for me, and I know I've certainly advised freelance writers that we, we hire on to do this. uh, One of the best tools you can use is uh, I guess compartmentalizing the work ahead of you. Uh, So if you have a 15,000 word assignment and you know roughly what it is to contain, then actually opening up your Word document, and all you need to really do is, well, this is all I do, I'll write a header of a section that I know I'm going to have to include. I'll even write quoting at quote face or something like that in the quote style. I'll then write attribution in the attribution style because we (laughs) almost always open chapters like that. And then I will write, for some reason, my finger always gravitates towards 
the letter F. I'm guessing that's because that's where my forefinger on my left hand rests when I'm typing. Um, but I'll then hold on F for quite a while, which is probably also what I'm thinking. Uh, <laughs> and, and after that, I will write underneath it something like 2,000 words. And I'll know what that section has got to contain by the fact that it's a title. That section has now been built. It's a skeleton. There's nothing out. There's yep. no meat on it. And then I'll do the exact same thing below. And if I have any fantastic ideas at that point, I might put them in there in list form, just like I would if I was uh, writing a game I was going to run. I would just write down the things I want to see happen in there, whether that's copying it from an outline and pasting it in, or whether it's just coming up with it off the cuff. And then I will leave it. I will very rarely stop at that stage and start writing en masse. Um, so that that really helps me in terms of, uh, I guess, yeah, that, that blank page fear. But it's one, mm -hmm. one of the things I really miss with the, this entire pandemic situation is, as you said, Eddie, the idea of going to a cafe or a bar or somewhere yeah. like that, a library and being able to write. Because not only is it a chance for we people who work from home to see the world, <laughs> even if it's just a, a different set of four walls, but you overhear a bit of conversation you see some faces you get to drink a tea or a coffee you don't usually get to drink you're treating yep. yourself as well because you're probably eating away from home so you might be spending a little more money than you would if you were at home but i remember distinctly a an assignment uh it may have even i don't think it was beckett's uh, was a vampire assignment so i may have in chicago uh, and i went to a cafe and had been scratching my head over what I was going to write while I was at home for about two days. And I went to a cafe on the third day and managed to write something like 8,000 words in one sitting, well, with a lunch in, in the middle mm -hmm. uh, over the course of a day. And it was simply, at least as far as I'm concerned, because I had changed my scenery. I had um, just given myself the time because i always walk into the city i know that's not always possible in america because for one thing cities are often a lot larger and they're not always pedestrianized yeah. luckily yeah. um in the uk pretty much all cities are accessible to nice. pedestrians and so i will spend 40 minutes walking into the city and that's 40 minutes walking i probably wouldn't be doing if i wasn't yep. going into the city to work so not mm -hmm. only am I working for less time when I'm there, because usually I'd be spending that 40 minutes at my desk and at the other end of the day too, I am somehow just divesting myself of all the baggage or all the thoughts that may have been and all the distractions that would be on my mind if I was at home. And so by the time I get into town, I'm, I'm baggage free and able to just concentrate on work. So yeah, it always helps yep, yep. me. The other thing that really um, helps with moving away is that you have less access to your own shit to distract you. Um, so, like, it's really easy to reach over and grab your switch and start playing if you're at home. But if you're mm -hmm. going someplace else, you just don't have access to the same stuff. Um, and usually the Wi-Fi is enough to get online, but not enough to actually like, play a game. Or, you know, sometimes it's kind of dodgy, so you can't have long conversations with people. Um, because I remember very vividly uh, the last house I lived in. Um, apartment, I should say. 
uh, uh, I was working on Contagion Chronicle, and I was just banging my head against it. I was, I was having so much trouble with it. Um, and so out of desperation, I went to uh, a grocery store locally called uh, Whole Foods. Um, I mean, it's, not, it's a chain, but there was a Whole Foods near our house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have a little eating in area, so you can like order it's like a little cafe space inside the grocery store. So I'm sitting here in a grocery store and I cranked out like 4,000 words um, because I just need to get out of my own head for a bit. And, yep. and that was a way to do that. Um, I have been hearing people doing uh, remote versions of that, like um, just logging into a discord channel and not even start talking to each other, but just kind of being there to hear people's, tic-tacking or being able to kind of like oh fuck this guy and just you know venting for a minute or two um i have not tried that to see how useful it is but other people said it's really useful um we've also internally uh been doing uh stand-ups every now and then where uh we'll log into the discord channel around 11 30 est mm-hmm. every day and um just spend 10 minutes talking about what we did yesterday we're doing today what's blocking us um and it's a short little 10 15 minute thing but it helps it's helping me at least um to kind of think okay well now i've talked through what my plan is uh and i've already done some of it but it's nice kind of break in the day you know me to see some people and talk about the work i'm doing as opposed to having people on the house where i can't always talk to them about what i'm doing sometimes the context for it or whatever um, right uh, uh and then also just little things like walking my dog lately has been really helping me. Uh, it's like, I'm not, I'm struggling with something. So it's like, you know what? I could probably, I could probably need to walk. And so I'll walk her for half an hour to come back. And just that, like you were saying, Matthew, about walking into the city, the act of walking around and not having some, a screen in front of you, sometimes I'll spur the mind to start churning. And then you come back and like, oh, now I have ideas and you start getting it down. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's something that like, I, I do miss, I kind of had the thought the other day that like, it's been almost a year since someone handed me a menu. You know? Wow. And like, I do miss that. And yeah, we like, I unfortunately am not walking distance from the downtown area here. I mean, I, I technically am, but it's not a great walk. <laughs> and uh, right. it would take a long time. Um, so it's, it's more like drive down to a parking garage and then walk from there. Uh, but like, I, yeah, I, I used to love to go to Starbucks. I'll say like, I, I live near Megan Fitzgerald and, you know, we used to go work at Starbucks together, mm-hmm. like, or at, at a local coffee shop called Caldi's. Like we would just go and we would sit and we'd work together and occasionally like, chat for a few minutes and then, you know, work some more. And it's nice. Like I found, um, some ambient, like coffee shop noises and stuff on a few apps. That's oh. actually not the worst thing ever. Um, because I'm so used to having like my earbuds in, but then I'm, you know, like you can still kind of hear like clinking glasses and stuff. So that's, that's not the worst thing, uh, for white noise. Cause I, I, I do find that for me, like sitting in silence is hard. Um, yeah. but also music with words is distracting. So I, yep. I listen to a lot of classical and video game soundtracks and movie soundtracks and stuff when I'm working. Um, I, I listen to lo-fi hip hop a lot. Yeah, yeah, which I I don't enjoy. I've I've I've, I've tried. Really? It's it's not for me. Yeah, oh, it okay. is it is not my genre. But that's okay. Um, but no, video game soundtracks are actually specifically great because movie soundtracks uh, sometimes can be good, but also sometimes they swell to dramatic moments. Yeah. Um, whereas video game soundtracks are specifically designed to kind of fade into the background and also aren't unless the video games very well programmed usually 
have distinct tracks. Okay, now we're switched to this thing, so you can kind of just load up lots of like backgrounds, low noise, and, and they're meant to kind of be repetitive and, and hypnotic. Yeah, it also depends on what I'm working on. Like when I was writing Anima, um, since I was working on the MMO part of it, I mm. was listening to the World of Warcraft soundtrack. Because I was working on a fantasy MMO, and so it made sense to listen to, you know, the fantasy MMO that I played for 10 years. Uh, But when I was working on, uh, when when I was working on They Came From Fiction, I was listening to horror movie soundtracks. Um, so lots of like Halloween and child's play and stuff like that. <laughs> so I, I, you kind of try to set the mood, but yeah, like be, being able to go to a place and just have like ambient kind of white noise and somebody occasionally brings you a sandwich is, uh, something yeah. that I definitely miss. And having my boyfriend yeah. home has been both things. Like if, if, if we can keep each other on track, that's great. But the fact is we both have ADHD. And right. we can distract each other very easily without meaning to. Um, mm-hmm. And also, like, we share an office and he's been working half days. So after about 1230 or so every day, he's in the same room as me, which can be nice once again, because we can just kind of like put our heads down and work quietly and occasionally ask, ask each other a, a, a question or whatever, but also can be incredibly distracting. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's kind of a, you know win-lose situation here where like both both things happen yeah totally do you actually want to talk a little bit about the pomodoro technique because that's something that you recommend to a lot of our folks and also maybe a little bit of trello talk i know that if people really want to they can go watch the video if you want to get like a much more in-depth thing about this instead of us just kind of like talking about it and bitching um but these are two (laughs) things that i think we should mention because they come up in every workflow conversation that we have that's fair okay um so the pomodoro method was um, kind of what I was talking about a minute earlier about doing a half an hour uh, thing. So basically how it works is <clears throat> you can take courses and get books for it and, and, and you don't need any of it. Um, all it really boils down to is you work for 25 minutes, you take a five minute break, then you work for 25 minutes, take a five minute break. If you do that four times, which is basically two hours, you then take a 15 minute break. Um, what comes along with that is um, for 25 minutes, you're focusing on one task. So it's not just 25 minutes of work TM. It's, you know, for this five minutes, I'm going to develop this chapter. For 25 minutes, I'm going to um, have a talk with one of my freelancers. For 25 minutes, I'm going to do whatever. Um, and then you take a, a break from that. Um, and by having something external telling you to stop, first of all, it's encouraging you to take breaks, which is also. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about how to motivate yourself to get work, but the reverse is also a problem. It's like you can get so sucked up in work that it's 12 hours have gone by and you've not eaten. Um, so by having something externally break into your thought process, it's actually helpful to kind of make sure that you're doing things like getting water or walking around. Um, and uh, part of the reason why that works is I know a lot of people are like, no, but I get in the flow and flow is very important. But Studies have found that your most creative periods are at the very beginning and very end of a time period. So if those time periods are 25 minutes in length, you're going to have more peaks than one two-hour thing. Um, if you've been if you've worked on creative stuff and found like the middle hour of work is kind of just garbage, or you're not happy with it, that's mm-hmm. a good example of that. Um, so if you're doing short bursts, then um, your brain's your, your brain takes a rest and then it comes back in a little fresher. And uh, uh, so you could have another peak of, of creative or quality work at the 25 minute top of the 25 minute mark. Um, another thing is that it's okay to fail a Pomodoro, which is like if you are 50 minutes in and someone calls you for a doc for a doctor's appointment or whatever, um, just stop, 
take care of the thing distracting you. Like in my case, it's the, okay, dog needs to go for a walk. Well, I guess I'm going for a walk now. Um, and then you come back and start a new 25-minute uh, uh, sprints, pomo, and go ahead with that. Um, that's really basically it. There's some other kind of elements and, and, and benefits to it, but really at the end of the day, it, it, it helps to keep your work focused. Um, and also it helps to keep your work plan from crowding into your brain. It's like, I'm working on just this one thing right now. Um, and like I said before, if you're just not really feeling it, if you do 25 minutes and you just not, you can't do anything else, at least you have 25 minutes of work done. At least you had something to show for it. It's not just the whole day is wasted. It's like, okay, well, at least I got a little bit of something accomplished. That's what less I have to do tomorrow. Um, and, and Trello is uh, a free piece of uh, website software that I use, but that it could be on with Post-it notes or a notebook or whatever. Um, and basically, it's just a way to uh, write down your tasks. Um, and I use uh, different what I call lanes. Um, there's backlog. Uh, backlog is basically every task that you need to be doing goes in there and that's just everything I could possibly need to do. Um, and then I have a this week lane where basically I'm pulling out of the backlog things that I need to work on this week or want to work on this week. Uh, and that's where you start to prioritize. It's like, okay, you know, looking at my backlog, I should probably be getting this writing done now because it's due pretty soon. Um, then there's a today lane, which is the same thing, just this is what I'm working on today. Um, I have an in progress lane, which is literally this is the one thing I'm doing. It has uh, uh, what's called a whip limit, which is a work in progress limit. So only one task can fit in there. Uh, so this is the one thing I'm working on right now. Uh, so on my board, for example, Pathcast recording is right now the thing that's in my in progress. What? We're on your list? Aww. Yes. Because yes. I care about you so much. Uh, and also because I want to track my desk. <laughs> and then there's a done column. Uh, which is important because if you're like writing down, the satisfaction of crossing something off of a list is, is, is palpable. Um, but also at the end of the week, it allows you to see what you've actually done. And that is something that's really easy to overlook how important it is. Um, because if you feel like you've had a garbage week, you can look at something objective and go, oh, actually, I accomplished a whole lot. Uh, mm -hmm. Or if you actually had a garbage week, you can say, no, you know, I genuinely beefed that week. What can I do to improve that? And what caused that to happen? How can I work around that? Um, it's, it's, it's something that's relatively objective to say, okay, this is what I haven't had not accomplished. Um, and then finally, there's a, a Sunday uh, lane, which not everyone needs, but I have. It's kind of a, here's the thing I have a cool idea. I have no idea. I haven't worked down the tasks. I have no idea what it looks like yet. Um, and no one's asking for it. But at some point, I think I want to do this. So if my tasks run low and I'm not found more work, I'm able to look at that Sunday column and say, oh, yeah, I talked about kicking this new game idea around. So maybe I should pull that off the mm -hmm. back burner and start working on that. Um, I have had tasks sitting in my Sunday column for, at this point, three years. So <laughs> I think someday, maybe never <laughs> at this point. Hey, I mean, um, how long did Ian work on Trinity? <laughs> Longer than three years. Yeah, that is fair. yeah, it's okay. Someday it might happen. Fair. Rich just published the Crossroads Continent. He's working on that for what more than thirty years, forty years. Yeah, <laughs> it's been eighty-three years, <laughs> and that was just twenty twenty. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> I had like a visceral reaction when he said that. <laughs> I had like I had like heartburn or something. <laughs> it was not good. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so it's basically, I mean, like I said, um, if you want to know more, there's a, a video, um, uh, I'll throw it in the show notes. Um, but, but basically it just really comes down to figure out what you're, what you want to work on and then find a way to capture that. So you don't have to think about it anymore and then focus on one thing at a time. That's really what a lot of this comes Yeah. Down. And one thing that's good about the Pomodoro method is that if you are like me and you get easily distracted, Having that little alarm bell go off makes you be like, oh, crap, I've been on Twitter for 20 minutes. Like, let me, you know, take, take, take my five-minute break and shake it out and walk around or whatever and then come back and actually focus. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah, because that's, that's my favorite aspect of it is that, like, I do get distracted. But instead of getting distracted for, like, two hours on a Wikipedia scroll hole, you know, where mm-hmm. I'm just like, that happened to me yesterday. I, I went to look up one little tiny thing. Um, that was like musical related, I want to say. And the next thing I know, I'm researching like interesting historical figures I hadn't heard of <laughs> for no reason, like not for a project, just because I saw something on Twitter and I was like, oh, what? I want to know more about this. Um, and so that 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 kind of thing is really difficult for me. But if I have an alarm that goes off after, after 20 minutes, then I, you know, go, oh, shit, I should close this. So, yeah, right. super helpful. I like it. That's our Yay. that's our workflow talk. Matthew, do you have any mm-hmm. other tips to add? Do I have any other tips? Hmm. Um, the the main one, main thing I do that is likewise part of that method is uh, that idea of ticking off tasks or clearing tasks or marking them up or whatever as you do them on some kind mm-hmm. of database or spreadsheet. Yeah. I do it physically. Um, I like have a it, list on paper and it makes me happy if yeah. you get to physically cross it out exactly it's it's a silly little psychological technique but uh, in in its simplicity but it it, it really is effective mm-hmm. the ability to see that you have done something even if it is something completely minor in the great scheme of things does make you feel better than not being able to see that, and yeah, it's um, it, it it's a psychological technique that can apply to many walks of life, and uh, certainly mm-hmm. work. But yeah, I um, I very much recommend anyone do- doesn't necessarily set themselves harsh deadlines to to get work done by because they will inevitably fail and you will inevitably mm-hmm. feel bad for doing so but it's the old uh, idea of rewarding yourself for for doing something yep. and that doesn't necessarily mean spending a lot of money on buying a new video game or getting drunk uh, although i guess you could do either of those two things um it's just the fact that you do deserve to feel good for having got through work, and especially during this incredibly stressful time that we are living in right now, it isn't easy to just keep your head down and focus on work for seven plus right. hours a day when it often seems like the things around you are on fire. Yeah. You you need those breaks for your mental health and you need to remind yourself that you're doing a pretty good job just keeping mm-hmm. at it. Um, so, you know, surviving, essentially, is the victory here. So, yeah, uh, don't be afraid to give yourself a pat on the back in some manner or other that you will appreciate 
when you get work done because it will make you feel more inclined to go back and do more work whether it's the same day yep. or the following day. i uh i try to reward myself for victories for the, the for that same reason because i i could sit here and think about all the things that i still need to do and get all anxious and wound up and not actually get anything done or i could get something done you know give myself a little break or you know get drunk whatever um <laughs> as a reward and then go on to the next thing uh one of my favorite feelings actually we use an, an internal tracking uh software called ClickUp. Mm -hmm. um and one of my favorite things is when i get rid of an edit like when an, an edit is completed that isn't mine aside from the fact that it was an editing and removing myself from the project <laughs> like yeah. i love like i just sent uh nwe back 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 to y'all and I like sent it back and then I was like, goodbye, Dixie, you are no longer on this project. <laughs> and it makes me feel good because I often have more projects than all of you simply because of Exalted Chronicles and the fact that I'm the editing person. So like if you look right. at ClickUp, it'll be like Eddie has 43, Matthew has, you know, 50 and Dixie has 68. Now, Eddie and Matthew are doing more hands-on work with a lot of those than I am. But right. it still looks scary. <laughs> right. Even if they have a bigger workload on some of that, it still looks scary to me to be like, Dixie has 73 projects while everybody else only has 40. And it's because Eddie's like actively developing Anima, for instance. Right. And I'm not actively developing anything except for Essence. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And e even that, like Monica and Neil are doing the bulk of it. I'm just kind of overseeing the project. Right. Yep. But yeah. Re it's definitely worth it. Those... those, those don't short yourself on those little kind of rewards at all mm -hmm. because they're so important to keep momentum going. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there have been days when I finish something really hard and I'm like, I'm going to play a video game for one hour. And I will set an alarm, you know, and like literally mm -hmm. just play it for one hour and be like, okay, that's that's good. I feel a little bit more chill now. I can jump into something else. I've got I've got my, you know, little in in endorphin high because I like playing video games. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, serotonin. What's yeah, this? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if people have more questions about this stuff, um, feel free to jump onto our Discord and ask. I'm always happy to chat about it. Yeah, we've got a podcast channel just for this kind of stuff. So, mm. I mean, don't, you know, ping us at all hours, but feel free. Yeah. We usually have Discord open and around. Like, I think during our talk, I have been posting GIFs of angry octopuses <laughs> um, because there was a Francis discussion in uh, the Trinity oh, no. channel. Oh, Francis. I love Francis. We barely knew ye. Oh, well. And on that note, <laughs> if people wanted to commiserate with you about Francis, where would they find you, Matthew? Well, they can find me on MatthewDawkins.com. They can find me on Twitter at DawkinsMP. And I'm very excitingly, uh, I should have mentioned it ahead of the show when people won't be tuning out. Uh, but very excitingly looking through some of the finished pages of Mummy the Curse 2nd Edition. Uh, so that's yeah. very exciting. And I have no idea where we are in terms of the projected time scale for that. But I feel like we've done pretty well. <laughs> Again, pandemic, insurrection, etc. going on. Well, it's also mummies, so I mean, we just send it backwards in time a few years and it'll be okay. Yeah. Well, that's the wonderful thing. If only we'd included a part in the game about timelessness. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, we can go back in time to add it. I love it when we realize that something very large and important has been left out of something. It, 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 it happens every now and love. then. What? Really? Love? Is that, the word? Is that the word we're using? Love? I think it's funny, <laughs> even though you have to fix it. Like, I know, I know something got left out of Anima. 
Um, yes. <laughs> and of course, the you know infamous, hey, Mommy the Curse, we're going to pitch it as being the Timeless Chronicle. It's going to be so cool. We didn't assign anyone to write that bit. Um, it would be if they came from beneath the sea, you know, didn't have undersea monsters. It's like, yeah. uh, this is a problem. Um, I... I, I I just like it because of the irony, because it's it's almost always something important to the game. <laughs> and for some reason we just missed it and we're like, how did we do that? Yeah. How? I feel I feel I'd have less affection for it if it happened at let's say proofing stage. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Mike, I don't suppose we could commission another few pieces of art and really lay out this entire chapter because I need to add uh, five thousand words. Oh he'd be so mad. Yeah. Oh, he would be so mad. Um, so if people want to uh, talk about how great Mike is and what an awesome job he does, uh, where would they find you, Eddie, to talk about that? Um, they would find me at uh, pugstay.com, and from there, get access to all my social media accounts. And similar to Matthew, um, I did want to announce a cool thing where it's going to be happening soon, is next Wednesday, on this very Pathcast feed, what? we'll start releasing episodes of the tales of the aeon society a radio drama in six parts Ooh. featuring the the characters of the upcoming trinity continuum adventure second edition game. i think you mean adventure sorry adventure because it's got an second exclamation edition. point yes. <laughs> right um but no uh, uh, we we commissioned i i, I wrote the scripts for um uh, this like five minute episodes but i wrote six episodes worth of scripts and then we got um one of our friends at uh, broken bart studios to do an audio drama uh reenactment of those scripts and it's it's gonna be a lot of fun i i, I just listened through them uh, a couple days ago and, and they're they're loads of fun so we'll be putting those every wednesday uh, on the pathcast feed and they'll also be available on theanexpath.com and i believe we're also going to put them up on drive through rpg if for some reason you don't want to listen to them through this feed which you're listening to now so it's going to be <laughs> Weird. <laughs> uh, I I do have something to say about adventure. A little yes. known fact: it is the only part of the Trinity Continuum that has crossover with they came from's universe. It's true. Really? Yeah. They really? Through via the exclamation. That's oh, it. I see. That's, that's it. <laughs> it's a game with an exclamation. Therefore, I consume it as part of my they came from milieu. It is uh, now one of mine. Sorry, Ian. <laughs> They came from adventure. Wait, does, does that mean that NWE is also one of yours? Uh, ooh, if we can get another exclamation in the title, because it's currently N exclamation mark WE unleashed. If we right. can get another exclamation after unleashed, that's doubly they came from. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the they longest... came from the squared circle, brother. This is the longest outro we've ever done. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Uh, speaking of things we didn't mention during the episode that we should have, uh, Scion <laughs> Dragon and Mass of the Mythos are currently on Kickstarter. Uh, yes. They are doing super well. Really, really well. Uh, we're very excited about them and want to add more things to them via stretch goals. So go check out that Kickstarter that will be linked in the show notes, I'm assuming. Um, also, you can see a bunch of us very soon at Virtual Horror Con, uh, hosted by our friends at Gehenna Gaming, along with our friends at Carry and Comfort Studios. Um, we are one of the sponsors, not we as of the three of us, but we as an Onyx Path are one of the sponsors for that convention. Um, it's the second Virtual Horror Con. Of course, we had the first one like one month into the COVID pandemic. Uh, yeah. I still like applaud the Gehenna Gaming folks for putting that together so quickly. Um, this one, they've had a lot more time to work on. Uh, so I'm very excited to see what they're putting together for it. Um, that's going to be, I think, around the February 19th or 21st, maybe? 
I don't know what dates are. I believe Matthew and I at least are running games for that. Yes, I think you do running games. I don't run games, but I will be on panels. I might moderate some things. I might play in a game or two. I know I'm playing in at least one uh, streamed game leading up to it uh, over on Gehenna Gaming. So we will also link to the Virtual HorrorCon website in the show notes if you're interested in looking at that and signing up when signups are open. Um, with all that said, you can find me most places as Dixie Cyanide, uh, including in, uh, I started playing Star Wars The Old Republic again, and I have made a character with green hair whose name is Dixie Cyanide, but spelled kind of weird because uh, it's Star Wars. Um, right. And then you can also find us at theonyxpath.com or The Onyx Path on most social media. As always, many worlds, one pathcast. Cast.